0: Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Jesus, Dietrich, and me episode. Do you know which one? Starts with a nine, ends with a nine. 99. <laughs> 99, there we go. Does that mean the next episode is the Lost Sheep episode? Yeah, yeah it could be. Yeah, because we have about one more and they'll complete the 100. Yes, the Lost. If you want to call it the Lost Sheep episode, we can <laughs> do that. All right. That's Pastor Jim. I'm Pastor Tyler. We get to serve down here at Family of God in Detroit. Thank you for tuning in for your time and attention today uh, or whenever it is that you listen to it. Uh, we're grateful for that. Grateful that uh, maybe you've been sharing the podcast or people have come across it. I'm uh, very grateful for all of you that do listen to us, that actually care about what we have to say. and. We're, today, we're going to be continuing discussions, looking at um, his meditations, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's meditations in the Psalms. And today, we are gonna take, uh, we're going to take, we're going to kind of jump back into prison. Uh, and so, if you remember, a couple of episodes ago, maybe 10 or so ago, we began, uh, or we were kind of making our way through uh Bonhoffer's letters and papers from prison and so we are going to kind of dive back into that not the actual letters themselves but some of the things that you know may have may have happened while he was in prison and so the title of this section in the book if you have been following uh, on page 133 134 it's called the plot that failed letters to Eberhard and Renate Bethke if you remember those that is uh, Dietrich's niece and Uh, Eberhard is his best friend, they were married, and so we're going to look at one of the things that he wrote to her and to him, but also uh, various Psalms, Psalm 20 and Psalm 20. I see,
1: he and the niece were married, not Eberhard and Bonhoeffer. Right. Just clarifying (laughs) the grammar. (laughs) Yes, okay, thank you. Yes,
0: Eberhard and Remember, it's 2022, you can't assume anything. Yes, I know. (laughs) Yes, and speaking of not assuming anything, uh, before we get into all that, the... uh, Tradition will continue. It is time for Follies of the Week. Pastor Jim, you have a folly for this
1: week? I'm thinking about the poor uh, Catholic pro-life guy who was arrested and charged with a federal crime of uh, obstructing access to uh, an abortion clinic. I
0: thought you were going to say being pro-life. The federal crime crime of being pro-life.
1: Yeah, that. That's why they arrested him. Of course it was. And, you know, depending on who you believe, and I think the FBI has admitted to, 20 officers arrested this guy. Yeah, 20 or 25? Yeah. At home. I went with the lower number. At home, um, the FBI acknowledged withdrawn pistols, but we didn't point them at him. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Where
0: did you point them?
1: <laughs> and they also said... Well, we holstered him after we had handcuffed him. I said, oh, yeah. in front of his seven children mm-hmm. and wife. And his wife. Wow. And then I'm reflecting in history, how many FBI agents went after Dillinger? <laughs> I don't think that many. Right. Or Bonnie and Clyde or any, <laughs> like, really dangerous people. Right. Actually but dangerous people. For a pro-life people. person, we got to have 20, 25, probably had helicopters overhead. Right, I want to think it's funny, except it, if you're on the receiving end, it's very sad.
0: Oh yeah, family, friends. I mean, imagine what's going on. What's going through those kids? Those kids' heads. I don't know how. Do you remember how old the kids were?
1: I've seen pictures. They looked like
0: they were ten to mid-teens. A mid-teen. Okay, so not not like young kids, but kids at the point where you're you're forming your opinions. You're 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 forming your your, your, your brains are being molded and things like that, and so they're experiencing. And probably, hopefully, the older ones. I know if that was if that was my father, uh, I'd be very proud that that was my dad because he probably went. He probably went willingly, no resisting, and just said, "Fine, this is your this clown." <laughs> I can't say what I want to say. The clown show that it that is what has become the American government is here to take me for simply being pro life because I think the article the article that you sent me was uh, there was a like a, there's a man that ass, that uh, assaulted his child while he was at one of these pro life yeah really assaulted so his so
1: he stood between his son and this uh, abortion activist and uh, pushed him back for and to protect his child. Yeah, the, the the local authorities, the state, took him to to court, dismissed the charges, yeah. but the federal government enough. decides they're going to Not make an example enough. for right. all of us out of this guy. And you know, okay, yeah, they yep. they kind of they martyred this guy. Yeah, Hell. Um I don't know why they don't see that when they do this. Just make another. They're creating heroes for
0: the pro life movement, right? but they don't yeah. think that right. way. They don't think that way, no, because that's not how they think. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, I was ta- I was kind of – mine was a toss-up. Uh, so at the time of recording, it is 3.15 on Wednesday, September 28th, and Hurricane Ian is uh, billowing. It's making its way, not giving it two craps about where it goes and who it knocks out uh, up through Florida. And uh, I was we were talking on the way down here to Family of God. I was telling you that my mom called me this morning and – uh, my grandma and grandpa are in Punta Gorda, which is where the hurricane was supposed to make land, make actually hit land, and um, you know and they were. Currently, they were they couldn't they couldn't leave the state. Uh, my grandfather's been going has been battling dementia for a couple of years now, and his anxiety skyrockets whenever things like this. So, my grandma was really trying to just kind of keep him calm with all these other things. So they took their you know the precautions around their house once they realized that the hurricane was heading directly towards them. And that they were going to be facing uh, winds that were strong enough to actually uh, take a wall off of their house. They have one of those Florida homes that's one of those that's not a it's not a mobile home, but it is in a sense. Um, but it, it's like one of those, those classic you know Florida homes. It's not there's no basement. It's not brick. It's like it's a, a, a wind uh, that they're expecting would could very well uh, take over their home. And so they were, they're moving to, uh, they're moving to my cousins, uh, cousin Deanna, and they're going to be with their house at their house until the storm is over. She lives in a brick home and those, they're going to be protected in that way. So she was able to convince my grandpa to go there, but the following that I was thinking about, so I'm, I'm getting this, you know, I'm getting this, you know, these phone calls from my mom and. You know, and I'm praying about this, and then I see people that are talking about, you know, what the kind of bringing up what the president had to say about uh, a couple of years ago about how the only the true way to protect yourself, you know, during a hurricane. And obviously, he's talking about <laughs> he's talking about the COVID stuff, but the true way to protect yourself during hurricane season is to get vaccinated. And so, you know, politicians will never will never not take advantage of something as catastrophic as a hurricane to push their agenda to make sure you get vaccinated. And so that was last year. And the only thing I kept thinking is, well, praise God that my grandma and grandpa are both vaccinated because they'll be fine during during this hurricane. Obviously, that's not that's not actually the case. But I was, it was just so frustrating because like there are real things that are happening. P- people who are actually afraid for their lives. And I'm getting and listening on the radio, and they're talking about well, how the hurricane impacts your sports betting, <laughs> how the hurricane impacts the lines for the upcoming games this weekend, how awful it is that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have to go to Miami to play their Sunday night football game. Because of the hurricane damages and the threats, I'm like there's real people that are dying or pute- could potentially die, lives that are being destroyed, and you're concerned about it. Just the the values of America just coming full full fledged. But I do want to read something for you, and I didn't share this with you on purpose, uh, because Vicker Vicker Nick texted me this morning and said I have a folly for this week, and he says you can he said you can you can read this for Pastor Hill at lunch, or you can read this and surprise him for his real authentic reaction. So I want to read this text from Vicar Nick. Are you ready? <sighs> <laughs> is, yes. that a, is that a yes? Okay. All right. Here it goes. So he says, every year, this is verbatim from, from Vicar Nick, who is currently at the seminary. He says, every year, four or five fourth-year students are asked to talk to the second-year students about their vicarage experiences. The second-year students then have the opportunity to ask whatever questions they might have about Vicarage. The goal is to get a variety of different Vicarages represented so that the second-year students can learn about the different possibilities and options for Vicarage. Well, that happened on last Friday, and there was absolutely no inner-city representation. I and the other guy in my class who was in inner-city Pittsburgh were not asked to be there. It's like they don't even care about the inner-city churches to have us even talk about them.
1: Hmm. Thanks, Nick. Um, mm. <laughs> Does that? I would say he's giving them too much credit when he says they don't care. I I think they're oblivious might be another word or... Yeah. Uh, have never. They never give it any thought. I mean, to to not care means you've given it some, some thought, thought, right? Yeah. I think, that, like I said, too much credit. It's just so far outside their um, okay worldview that uh, they would never consider it. They wouldn't even consider whether or not it was worth introducing.
0: Yeah,
1: it sounds like they evaluated and said, "No, nah, we don't want to do that." It's like. Yeah, you'd have to see my facial expressions, but yeah, yeah I'm it's looking like at it. it's
0: pretty disgusted. Yeah, yeah, okay, that's fine. Well, I think it's it just goes back to the point of, um, you know, both of us, you and I, both went to. We have two, we have two seminaries in our uh, in our denomination. We're both Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. You went to. It's the right one, and the other is the wrong one. <laughs> right. You went to the right one. I went to the wrong one. We'll let the let the listener understand, and. um But it just, the seminaries will always talk about how they want to prepare men and women, uh, deaconess students, they want to prepare men and women for the church. Yet when opportunities come to expose different ministries, unique ministries, they just kind of go pass idly by.
1: Oh, I love it, especially when they say things. I've heard them say things, not just the districts and others at synodical level. We should be sending our best and brightest into the inner cities, and I'm thinking, yeah, the last thing on Earth you're doing is sending your best and right. brightest the into the opposite. inner cities. it's the exact opposite. Yes, they're putting, I've heard this, I won't name the name of who it was on the air, but, well, we're not sure he should even be a pastor, but if we send him here, what harm can he do? <laughs> what damage could he do? Right. right, And so, yeah,
0: that's the best and brightest uh-huh. when you do that. Right. So thanks for that, Nick. Thanks for ruining our day. <laughs> Jeez. Mm. And this is the guy that
1: we're but he needs to, to come bring here, back here to be and be one us. of our pastors. Restore balance to the force.
0: Right. Yes. So
1: takes two of us to wash out one of you. <laughs> right.
0: All right. Before we get ourselves in any deeper trouble, uh, there's a there's still a dis- there's a disconnect from and we're not like and I've said this before. Um, I, I will never say that our ministry is better than other ministries. Ministries that are in the suburbs, that you know, big, big ministries. Right? I just had a conversation with uh, with one of our supporting our supporting volunteers or our supporting congregations. The pastor there. This is a congregation that has two thousand members. Uh, they're in they're in a, a very well off area. Uh, the budget of you know five million dollars and. And I was, so I was meeting with him. We were talking about some different things, and and he was talking to me about some of the different uh, struggles that he's been having. And one of the struggles that you and I have never had is we've never had to deal with uh, a same-sex couple uh, being a part of our congregation and one of the one of the women in this relationship walking into a woman's bathroom and then having another person storm out because I thought we got past all of this. So this is a woman who... Uh, who has short hair is very muscular, and they the assumption is that this woman was was a transgender woman, and she's not, <laughs> and and so this other woman will come storming out of the bathroom in front of everyone else and said, "We came to this school because we wanted to get rid of all of that stuff." How does a pastor respond in this in the center in all of that right? And so you know those are the kinds of things that he's dealing with. We just I was telling telling you there was a. A parent at uh, at, w- at one of the schools that supports us also, who is trying to get CRT into their into their schools, and and that's you know how do you deal with that? We th- praise God have not had to deal with anything like that, and so at each ministry's all the ministries are different. They're you know they have their different struggles. We have our different struggles. You know the way that. A Christ or Savior, a Saint John, a Saint Paul—that they're not struggling the same way that we are. We're not, you know, they're, they may not be dealing with addiction, but we're not dealing with those kinds of things. And, um, but we do say that to say that there is still a to, there is still a disconnect. To be a trifle blunt,
1: inner city ministry is not where you send the weak sisters, and we do just that, mm-hmm. and then wonder why nothing happens in the inner city, right. or the or the. It doesn't have to be inner city, but in the urban environment, if you only send uh, people you'd rather not have, uh, being a pastor in the suburbs, then you've consigned them to failure, and the churches you send them to to
0: failure. Yeah. So the 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 point the point being is that clearly, with what Nick said, what we've experienced with our with our uh, Conversations that we've had at synodical level and district level, uh, there's still major disconnects between the cities, and it's not just it's not just family of God. It's this connect between, you know, there's a great ministry that's happening, you know, 60 miles north in Flint, and that's that's different. You know, same thing in in Pontiac. There's other ministry that's happening in Pontiac, but the district doesn't know. They don't really know those kinds of things, and um, it's worse than that, really, because.
1: Instead of knowing what's going on there, they have these illusions of, I'm almost going to say, illusions of grandeur of what's happening there when in fact it's a war there. Yeah. And they're not supporting the, the guys in the war. They're just, you know, 5,000 feet up, taking,
0: yeah, it's imagining
1: tough. credit for things that are actually not really yeah, happening. It's, it's like they're not engaging with the urban.
0: Right, and yes. a lot of that's because they they have other things they're attending to. They have church. They have all the churches in the districts that are that they're trying to tend to and make sure that are taken care of. Um, but at that point, I think it's important that you hire. Maybe you bring in bring on somebody that's specifically attentive to those kinds of ministries. Right? Don't, wouldn't you agree with that? Yeah, someone you. that is specifically brought on, not just under this lump umbrella. Actually, someone that's specific, so that congregations, pastors, people that are involved in these ministries aren't left hung out to dry. and I think sometimes that's how a lot of them feel. Uh, un- oh, it's, you, it's never I'll intentional. You, I'll give you a word picture.
1: We may never get to Bonhoeffer. Word picture. Here's the Titanic. It just went down. Do we minister those in the lifeboats, or do we minister those in the water? Right. Ah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Guess what we do.
0: Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're and right. so... so well, right. they're, they're going to drown anyway, right? Why would you... Even, <laughs> you know? Well, that unfortunately, that's we're, we are not by no means saying that that's the mentality, but sometimes that's what it seems like. At the operational level, that's what
1: happens, right. whether you
0: want it or not. So
1: we've been blessed with uh, Pastor Ganado.
0: Why is he a blessing? Well, <laughs> he's, a, he's a blessing for... To our prayers. Yeah, he's an answer to prayer for sure. Yeah. Um, this is a, a gentleman. How old do you think he is? Fifties, late fifties, late forties, early fifties. Early forties, early fifties. Super, super nice guy. Uh, he's been brought in by the Michigan district. So this this is why I say it's not, it's not, it's never intentional because they have the ideas. They have, they certainly care. Um, they just don't have the, they don't have the personnel, and so they're trying to. I think they're might they're trying to expand that personnel, but they bring in. Pastor Ricardo Granado, and so that's a big deal for us because one of the things that we struggle with here in the southwest side of Detroit is language, language barrier. And so, in no matter what the data says, uh, there are over fifty thousand people in this neighborhood that are Latino, that are Hispanic. They're willing to be
1: counted. That, that are will- that's even
0: more right. And those who are who are undocumented are even more. And so, it's language and culture barriers for right. us yes for sure and so pastor granado comes in for you know via the direction of the district and he's he's been uh, given the task to minister and to oversee ministry to the latino communities which is a great and and high and noble task uh, he wants to he wants to get down and dirty though with in the city which i think is a great thing because he's been busting his butt in this neighborhood going to grocery stores going to uh, barber shops going to the bakeries going to the furniture stores going to the hardware Bowl, stores yeah. doing what
1: the preschools the
0: preschools right yeah going to all of these places because he wants to bring the good news of the gospel to this neighborhood and he wants to bridge though he wants to break those barriers he wants to bridge those gaps and he's he's ready to work and that's that's great that the trouble is going to be when when it comes time for him to go to the other neighborhoods the other places around the state that have these. Uh, have have these have these communities, have the Latino communities. And he's not an answer to prayer because he's I don't how do how would you describe him? I mean, he's fierce.
1: Missional, I would say. The actual for real missionary. And so, but they don't want him some people don't want him to be a missionary. They want him to be a I don't have a kind word, figurehead. Yeah. And so Instead of getting six, seven, eight of him, they're getting one and saying, here's the state. Now we have a Hispanic presence. And when, in fact, what in the name of God can any one person do in the whole state of mission? If they're charged with the whole state, uh, you might as well have stayed in Venezuela. Right. If, if that's the mission. But he's too busy pulling people out of the water into the lifeboat right now. Mm-hmm.
0: So. And there's people drowning everywhere right? right? It's, I mean, even if you were to go to a place like Grand Rapids There's going to be people drowning there too And he's only one person He's only one person Yeah, Well, you pull out the one in front of you Right, Right. it reminds me of that uh, It reminds me of the story that you told me One of the first times The first couple of weeks that I was here And I asked, you know, how do we How do we reach all these people? And you said, you don't And then, Do you remember the story you told me about the starfish? Oh yes, yeah. Yes. The, the little kid walking around the side, walking on the. Don Peterson told me that story. So okay. blame him. <laughs> so you tell me the story of of this of this young kid walking along the beach, and it's low tide, and all these starfish are are have been washed up onto the beach, and he starts dying. Yeah, and they're dying, and uh, and he throw he just starts throwing, tossing them back, tossing them back, and. You know, he, pick, he reaches over, picks up one, tosses it back into the ocean. What well, takes another couple of steps, reaches down, t- tosses one, picks it back up in the, or t- tosses it back in the ocean. And this old grumpy old man comes up to him and says, son, you're never going to get all these. You're never going to save all these starfish. You just give up. You're never going to get them all. And the kid says, y- you're, you're maybe right, sir, <laughs> but I can save this one. And he throws it into the, into the ocean and i can save this one and he throws it back into the ocean and so that's really kind of the the mission i think that's the missional mentality and because mm. that starfish that gets tossed back into the ocean he then goes and tells all his other little starfish buddies about the person that saved him and so it just creates to continue with this analogy it creates that ripple effect so to speak and everyone you know it's why jesus at times would you know that sometimes would say go and tell i always think of the the demon possessed man, the man of the tombs, right? You remember that story? Yeah. And he wants to come with Jesus and Jesus says, No, go and tell what go and tell everyone what I did for you or what God did for you, right? Go and tell. Come and see, go and tell. Right. So that's kind of that's kind of I think that's the the right approach with Pastor Granado. And I think he's taking that approach, which is I'm gonna go and I'm gonna tell these people that are here, the people that I'm that I'm ministering to right now. And I don't care how long it takes. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna take this one and throw it into the back into the ocean. I'm gonna go and get this one and toss it back into the ocean. And I'm gonna build myself, not build myself. I'm gonna build a congregation of people that want to tell other people. And once we have that, then I can start to go out rather than just saying, "Well, I'm gonna get one and then I'm gonna go." And go all the way across to another beach and get another get another starfish. That's that's I think is the right way turning, of approaching. Turning the rescued into
1: rescuers. Right. Yes. For sure. Absolutely. So it's much more theologically complicated than I'm going to say. So don't don't send us any hmm. comments. But Jesus only healed the ones in front of him. Yeah. He did not wave his arms and suddenly everybody in Palestine who was blind could see. It was the ones that and I'm going to say the Father put
0: in front of him whom he healed. Yeah, so. divine appointments, right? Right. Man born blind, um, the man at the pool of Bethesda, uh, woman at the well. Who was spiritually blind, yes. Yep. Uh, so. The Canaanite woman, which is one of my favorite stories in Scripture. You uh, dog, you. <laughs> right. Uh, Jairus' daughter, Um yeah. You know the woman that he meets on the way to seeing Jairus' daughter. Uh, You know all these. It's one. They're one on one. They're one on one interactions. And so that's that's the way. I mean, Jesus did his ministry. He certainly preached to the masses, but he did his he did all of his work with twelve with twelve guys. (laughs) And those twelve guys, thirteen guys, include Paul. They went out after Jesus died and rose and ascended. They went out after Pentecost and that's how the church that's why you and I are christians is because of the men that jesus took time with intentionally and even within those 12 people he had 3 that were kind of on that inner circle he had peter james and john and so it, the intentionality of the ministry i think that's that's the important thing and granado is all about that and i think that's going to be the difference maker when it comes to what his mission is here in southwest detroit and to latino populations across the state of michigan would you agree with that Yes. So well, the name of this chapter is The Plot That Failed. Hmm. <laughs> Speaking of missions. <laughs>
1: the Plot That Failed. I was just beforehand searching on, on the internet to talk, to get a little bit more information about the plot, maybe something I didn't know. The first article said he was arrested in 1943 for being part of the plot to kill Hitler, which is very interesting
0: because plot to kill Hitler, that Hitler was the first attempt. He was totally was unaware of him after, until right. July 21st, 1944.
1: Right. So he'd already been in jail more than a year. Uh, so yes, he was involved in the plot team. He was not arrested for the plot itself because if anybody who Hitler thought was involved in that plot was ruthlessly executed. Mm-hmm. Without trial, immediately executed. So, his particip- Bonhoeffer's participation in that plot was low level, and I would say background. And it was, you know, just to be factual, it was basically a military plot, not a, it wasn't a civilian plot, or uh, they didn't directly involve pastors or the churches. It was a military plot. Um, and he wasn't arrested for anything to do with all the other plots uh, uh, to kill Hitler. There were many. If you go back through the history of Hitler, this, this is not the place, but there were many well thought out plots to knock this guy off, and and every one of them failed. And you know it was like, okay, we're going to set up an ambush on this street. We know he's coming. Da 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 da. da. And at the last minute, Hitler says no. Let's go this street instead of that street. And so it fails, right? Or one place there was a bomb. Actually, it was in the, the Munich Beer Hall where his uh, failed revolt started. He was supposed to speak, and he just decided to leave. Mm-hmm. Surprised everybody by leaving, and then the bomb goes off after he left. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's like, left. it's like <laughs> Satan is protecting this guy. Yeah. I mean, please don't write us. Because I don't really mean this, but I wish God protected me like Satan
0: protected this guy. <laughs> do you think that? Do you think that happens? Do you think that Satan uh, yeah. protects people? Yeah. Okay. Um, get with God's blessing, obviously.
1: No, I would never say blessing. God's permission, permission, okay, or knowledge. Um, so he's in prison. We know he's been in prison quite a while, mostly for being a resistance leader slash agitator. Um, and we've gone over the times he was in prison trying to, you know, please charge me with something so mm. I can have a trial, you know, and either convict me or let me go. But he was held in, might, might as well have been Homeland Security. Right? <laughs> right. What Why did he say that? Well, because Homeland Security can put you away and... Mm-hmm. As a suspected terror, he may never come <laughs> right. to light, Right. despite your rights as an American. So, uh, so he was tucked away quietly. He was not executed. In fact, he was he was executed as an afterthought. When he, it's almost like it didn't really happen this way. It's almost like Hitler said, "Well, this isn't going well. But is there anyone I should have knocked off before I commit suicide?" And then they give him a <laughs> list of people and is Bonhoeffer and he's done for. Right. So one of the articles I looked at said that Bonhoeffer decided in being involved in killing Hitler or approving of the killing of Hitler that he decided to to use the, the Luther phrase, to sin boldly. And we've also talked about in our podcast how difficult it is to, and he's still attacked for it today, to be the pacifist Local pacifist, who suddenly says, "Let's be a realist, and it's better for one man to die than the whole nation <laughs> to <laughs> perish." Right, um, and so he still gets grief today about uh, abandoning his principles. So, yeah, so he's been writing to his buddy, Eberhard, who it says Eberhard. here is on the it's on the Italian front, which is. 1943. The Americans are halfway up Italy. But the Italian government, Mussolini, I don't think he has collapsed yet, and Italy hasn't uh, left the war yet. But it's it's very clear that it's if Italy isn't to fall, the Germans are going to have to yeah. fight this war, yeah. and so that's what's going on. And uh, so Eberhard is separated from his. Wife and baby, just like probably a million other German soldiers are separated from their family. And so he's writing words of comfort to him. I don't know what can you say comforting when you're sitting there ducking from bombs. Right. And, uh. oh, he, he's so safe, what he say? I
0: guess. Everybody writes. Mm-hmm. Uh, right there. Dear uh, Eberhard. Yeah, dear, uh, dear Renate. Dear Eberhard, dear Renate. Which,
1: by the way, if he's separate. The letter can only go to one of them. One's in the northern Italy front; the right. others in home. Yes.
0: So these words flow from my pen as I meditate upon the. Lösungen. <laughs> Lösungen. Ungen. Yes. For the solutions, right? You right. said, that. for the following days with you, for the, the upon the solutions for the following days with you. They have been together in a hurry and not carefully formulated, and will only have value with your own reading of the text. They may possibly be helpful. I had the courage to send them to you only because you said that the meditations I sent at Whitson had pleased you. Now, keep well, be of good faith, and hope with me for another happy meeting very soon. So, these solutions he's talking about is in
1: reference to the Psalms. Many of the Psalms ask questions, uh, difficult questions, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Like... Why, I'm not quoting the particular psalm, why do the wicked triumph O Lord? Yeah, how and, long? And then within the psalm, a solution is offered to the, to the apparent uh, problem
0: of the uh, triumph of evil. Yeah, that's the pattern. You've mentioned this before, I think, on the podcast. That's the pattern for a lot of the psalms. It starts with a question and then some, uh, some complaining. <laughs> a lot of complaining. And then it, then it kind of, rev- then there's like that, uh, like the pivot word, like, but, but you, O Lord, are great, but you are the, or but you have the, done this. Uh, and then it comes up with that solution, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it always like, it always gets you there in some way, shape, or form. The psalmist, whether it's David or Solomon or whoever, gets there.
1: So there, on page 140, there's Psalm 3, so. Uh, you said page 140? of the book, right? Oh, Psalm you're jumping 3. Ahead. Yeah. Oh. Just just as an example. So it starts with Oh Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me God will not deliver him. So he's presented a problem, right? Mm-hmm. Um, then he answers it by saying, "But you are a shield around me, O Lord." It goes on and on, and then finally it's there's an admonition or a charge or a challenge that says, Arise, O Lord, deliver me, O my God, strike all my enemies on the jaw, break (laughs) the teeth of the wicked, whoa. And so, again, a problem was presented, everybody looks at me, I'm your child, everybody looks at me and says, God God doesn't care for this guy at all, we can stomp him into the ground, right? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. He proposes that that's not the reality. That God is his protection, and then he asks God to uh, show grace, mercy, and forgiveness to his enemies. <laughs> if you didn't hear the sarcasm there, <laughs> yes, right, <laughs> <Yeah. we're right. laughs> so that that's kind of a, the Los
0: ungen. I, I like it's. So what I what I hear is um, when I hear a psalm like this. And yes, he's presented with some kind of a challenge, some kind of a, uh, of a complaint. So, oh Lord, how many are my foes, right? So he's complaining about how, how tough things are. Many are saying that, you know what, God, they're, they're, they're telling us, they're telling me, you're not going to deliver me, but I know better. And therefore God do what you said you were going to do. And there's a sense of, of, and I don't. Does David do Psalm three? Is that it sounds Sounds like like it sounds like a David Psalm. Uh off I don't know, offhand. I'm guessing it's David. But what it sounds like to me, if it I mean it's the psalmist is holding God to his promises, right? He's holding God to what he said he was going to do. God, you said you were going to deliver me. Yep. I mean, here's a perfect opportunity for for you to do that. So uh would you please? In fact, it's not even an ask, it's a it's an expectation, it's a challenge. God do it. Uh, yes, it is David, by the way. When, this is uh, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom. So this is during the, in the midst of the coup, when everyone's trying yeah. to kill him. <laughs> An- another example is
1: on page 144, Psalm 70. He says, Hasten, O God, to save me. O Lord, come quickly to help me. May those who seek my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, Aha, aha, turn back because of their shame. Wow. I don't think you said aha, aha right. Well, how would you say it? Aha, aha. Okay, you dramatized. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Drama queen you. But a little later in that psalm he says, Yet I am poor and needy. Come quickly to me, O God. Mm-hmm. You are my help and my deliverer, O oh, Lord, do not delay. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so many of those psalms have that framework or outline of, I'm in desperate situation, but I belong to you. Now, God, would you kindly come and <laughs> to do what your word right. says?
0: <laughs> right, right.
1: Yeah, and so the chapter we're looking at is Bonhoeffer writing to Eberhard at the very time that uh, July 20th, 44 was the bomb, That and July, later that day, and July 21st is Hitler. Uh, uh, well, the plotters tell Germany that he's dead. July 21st is pretty much Hitler uh, getting on the radio and convincing the nation that he's unhurt. Mm-hmm. That was a lie, but then what sure. would you expect? unhurt and he'd been you know whatever his equivalent of providence had protected him from this evil plot and so but where's where's Bonaparte in prison in he doesn't know these right. things i doubt he i doubt he knew the day of the plot i would almost right. bet well your life anyway tyler thanks <laughs> <laughs> they would never have told him that because he's uh, Vulnerable, and you know, so they wanted to squeeze the information out of him. Better he has no information mm-hmm. than, and so,
0: yeah, I've always I've always thought that, uh, and I talked about this on Saturday with the um, with the Saint John men that I had got to lead uh, their breakfast. We talked about Bonhoeffer, life together. Kind of, we were talking about this, and and I asked that it's it's always funny to me when people ask, um, or when you ask somebody, what do you know about Dietrich Bonhoeffer he's the Christian pastor that tried to kill Hitler. <laughs> that's often the, that's often the response that you get from people and they, they don't know all the details. And for us, it's like, yeah, the first attempt that happened, he wasn't even there, you know, it, it to be, it, cause at the beginning of this, of this commentary, it says, however, reluctantly Bonhoeffer was involved with the plots, but, that's kind of an afterthought, right? It's he's not he's not directly involved. He's not the one that's lighting the fuse. He's not the one that's pressing the button. He's not the one that's holding the knife to him. He's not the one that did that. Um, he just kind of got roped in. Kind of got roped into it. It would have been impossible for him to know the information. Oh no, was. they would
1: never have shared it with him, right? Uh, so he was probably um, relegated to what I would call um, moral. Authority or moral approval um, as a pastor for those plotters who, military plotters, who might actually have had um, religious conscience questions about yeah. doing this. You, you could say there were probably as many moral as patriotic reasons why Bonhoeffer got involved in this, too, because he saw his nation. He's a nationalist.
0: Right, we've talked about that before. Yeah,
1: um, He's seen his nation destroyed once again,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and who wants to save something for the next generation to build on? Um, and the way things were apparently going, there would be nothing uh, for the next generations to build on. So then it talks about the Frenchman Jean Lasserre, Lasserre, Lasserre. I've read about him. He's a fellow student. He would have been an exchange student who went to Union Theological Seminary. He and Bonhoeffer and uh, the, I can't remember the name of the African-American student, but they were kind of buddies, like a little triad. Um, Like the musketeers. Yeah. So Lacerre would probably, in part because of his Catholic background, says that he would like to become a saint. And Bonhoeffer's response was, I would like to, (laughs) to learn to have faith what's the difference between becoming a saint don't get lutheran on me if you're a catholic what does it mean to become a saint as opposed to bonhoeffer
0: saying i he wants to learn to have faith so i the person what i always think first of all i laugh because uh, when i first originally read this i read it as Lesaire saying i'd like to become a saint and bonhoeffer's responses <laughs> i read it as yeah i bet you would <laughs> That's how I read. It. That's why I laughed. And reading it again, it's 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 not it's not that. But I just <laughs> never. anyway. Um, the difference between like the the saint that you know, being a saint, having faith. I mean, certainly we become saints by having faith, right? We are brought into sainthood by grace through faith, declared to be just. You, know, that, you said uncle Lutheran, but that's Lutheran, that's what Lutheranism yeah. so is. Cat- but I always think of, I think of the. Um, oh, is it Mark? I don't remember which text, which exactly where in Mark, but it's the, it's the guy that's got the, that has his son that's dying. That and increase he, my faith passage. Right? right. And he says, he says to Jesus, you know, I, he says, can you, uh, if you are able, can you, can you make my, make my kid well? And Jesus says, if I am able. And then, uh, and then he says, you know, those, anything can happen for those who believe. And, and the, the guy says, I believe Lord. Help my unbelief, and I think that that's, I, that's what I think is happening here. It's a kind of a version of that. It's kind of a riff of that. Bonhoeffer's like, yeah, I, you know, I too would like, you know I want to be a saint, but really, what I want is to have faith. I want to, ha- I want my faith to be increased. I want to. I want to have faith where I don't question, where I don't doubt, where I am. Where I'm confident every single day, every single hour. There is no. There is no discussions. There is no wondering. There is no me writing letters. You know, renouncing my faith and and, and you know, no psalms of lament where I'm questioning God's uh, God's prov- His provisions and His sustaining. I want to have rock solid, confident faith. That's kind of where that's kind of where I go from from that. I don't mm-hmm. know about you. What do, what about you?
1: Well, if you're um, if you are coming from a Catholic perspective, to to be a saint means to die with more merits than demerits. So, mm-hmm. I want to live a more perfect life. Um, and often, and I'm not speaking for this guy because I don't really.
0: You don't know him? (laughs) I don't know him, but I'm
1: generalizing. To achieve that means withdrawing from the world. Yeah. um, And the world's temptations. And uh, then to get, I think that's close because the next thing says 13 years had passed. And Bonhoeffer stood by that statement, I want to learn to have faith. But he adds to it, it's only by living completely in the world that one learns to have faith
0: yeah.
1: as opposed to withdrawing from the world, to isolating yourself from the world and its temptations and its uh, complications. So, in fact, you know, that's the whole monastic system is to to pull out of the world and to live, you know, depending on the order and silence and poverty and uh, chastity and, uh, to remove all those things that might cause more demerits, from your potential demerits, and um, increase the probability of you achieving more merits by worship and prayer and service and all those things. And it's almost—it's almost if Lasser is locked into works righteousness, mm-hmm. and uh, as opposed to Bonhoeffer. In this case, by faith alone. Um, but faith—you you don't even know that you have faith unless it's been tested. Yeah. I can say I have faith. You know, I, I always go to Peter on the boat. Hmm. You know, there's Jesus walking on the water, and P, I think Peter says something like, "You know, bid me to come to you, Lord." And Jesus says, "Come." What if Peter had said, "No, I'm um, good. I'm good." I'm good. <laughs> I I believe I could do it. So I don't really have to do it. My faith is solid. No, yeah, no, no, you have to actually do it. Swing your feet off the boat, shift your weight, and stand on the water.
0: Right. And so That's what, that's I, what you you've said, bef- you've said before that faithfulness is evidence of faith, right? It's to to have to have faith. If you have faith, there will be faithfulness. It's one of those uh you can't have one without the other. It's not a it's not. It's. It's. It's not saying that uh, in order for Peter to truly have faith, he has to do this, right? That's not at all what you're saying. What you're saying is that he he discovered that he really did have faith because he did this, right? Eighth yeah, temporarily. Yeah, yeah, temporarily. Right until uh, until he fell through, until he took his eyes off Jesus. But the, 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 I think the point speaks for itself. Um, there's that. Ex- I mean, same thing. Same thing with Abraham, right? Abraham with, with Isaac, God says, I want you to sacrifice your son. I want you to give me your son. Knowing that, hey, uh, God, remember when you promised that I'm gonna be blessed through Isaac? Yeah, that can't happen <laughs> if you take him from me. And so there's there's the there's the testing, right? If Abraham can say, Okay, I believe that you're gonna do this, but until he actually goes to take the knife and slit his his son, I, I that, t- that faith is being tested, and you find out just what your faith is when you're faced with that kind of, those kinds of trials, those kinds of uh, yeah, so tests. So those
1: who want to preach and teach that and tell us that Abraham never doubted that God would stop him, I'm sorry, then it was never a test. It, and yeah. then, so what was the purpose of it? It was never a test. It had to be a test. Mm-hmm.
0: For, for Abraham. For Abraham. For Abraham, not for God or Abraham. Or Isaac. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. 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 So, marriage. Ready? Oh, we've made 50 minutes before Uh, getting to marriage. So,
1: Michigan District decides to send you as a missionary to the Antarctic to preach the gospel to the penguins. To the penguins? To the penguins. And you, I'm trying to be funny. And you tell your wife, I'll be faithful. I'll come back in five years. And you come back in five years and say... I was faithful to you, honey. Well, you never had an opportunity to be unfaithful.
0: Because there's no one there. No one there. <laughs> right.
1: So it was never a test. So right. the value of you saying I was faithful is zero. <laughs> Until right. there was an opportunity...
0: Yeah, if I was going to be unfaithful, it would have been with a penguin. Well, I didn't want to go into that, but it's
1: 2022. so. Yeah, okay, I was going to say that. <laughs> yeah, to, to faith must be tested, or it's not faith at all. Yeah. And so, poor, yeah. poor Bonhoeffer. He expands with this, as on 136. By this worldliness, worldliness, I mean living unreservedly in life's duties problems, success, failures, experiences, and perplexities. In so doing, at least potentially, he doesn't say potentially, I'm gonna say potentially, we throw ourselves completely into the arms of God, taking seriously not our own sufferings, but those of God in the world, watching with Christ in Gethsemane. That, I think, is faith. That is how one becomes a man and a Christian. How can success make us arrogant, or failure lead us astray, when we share in God's suffering through a life of this kind? Hmm. I, I think that's written from a perspective of success. But we could also throw our li- ourselves unreservedly in life's duties, problems, successes, failures. Experiences and perplexities and rely totally on ourselves and fall flat on our faces over and over and over again. So, but even in those cycles, what can we learn? Instead instead of being perfectly godly in life's duties, problems, successes, failures, experiences, and perplexities, (laughs) we also learn by
0: failure, right? I I think that you actually learn more from failure you know, how do you know, how do you learn that, that things that are, that are, how do you learn that touching boiling water is bad for you? Well, at some point you probably had an experience or someone had an experience where boiling water, you know, touched them, got close to them, something like that. You saw, you've, you know, that's, that's, maybe that's not the best example, but one of the things that we say, particularly about family of God uh, with, you know, when I think of I think of you know my experience uh, in my growth as a as a preacher in particular. One of the things that you told me about family of God is that family of God creates a safe place to fail, and because the people here, who we love very much most of the time, their their biblical literacy is not like that of a Christ or Savior or a Saint John or. University Lutheran Chapel or anything like that. It's it's very basic, uh, and a lot of times you know, you've said this before. We could preach the same sermon over and over and over and over again here, and everyone will hear it as if it as if it was the first time. And so, when I was kind of learning and kind of figuring out my style and and what what works, what doesn't work, this was a good place to do that because failure when you do something and it falls flat or you just aren't prepared or anything like that, you can learn from that. And you, I, I would, and you'd probably attest to this too. One of the, the reasons that, that there are good preachers is because the reason that there are, you know what I'm trying to say? you become good, you've become successful because you at one point failed. That's. That definitely you learn what actually works. Right, right. And you've learned what doesn't. Yes. I think in the business world, people, people that are successful are often the people that failed. You hear that, you hear those kinds of stories all the time. And so with us, we've, we've learned you know, how to work with addicts. We've learned how to work with homeless folks. There's a reason that we know not to give money to so-and-so because we've done that before and it's failed. <laughs> We, we know not to give keys to, to this person or to this kind of person because we've done it before and we've failed. We know not to pay for a family to drive to Tennessee because it's failed. Um, you know, those are the kinds of things that you learn. You, you fall in your face, you get back up. It's very elementary, but it's so true. When you fail, it sets you—you you get back up and you're, you know not to do that again. And you try something else, whether it's preaching, pastoring, resisting— Spying, (laughs) Mm -hmm. all these things that Bonhoeffer did, and we do.
1: So he says here, how can success make us arrogant or failure lead us astray? If that just ended there, I'd say, yeah, what success does make for arrogance and failure can lead us to many bad choices, right? Yeah. Um, So then he says, when we share in God's suffering through a life of this kind— so he's he's put a perspective perspective a different world view on what it means to live completely in the world he's talking about what he talked about watching with christ in gethsemane or assuming that for godly purposes our suffering is sharing in the suffering of christ and so how does success make you arrogant
0: it can it can Lead you to a path of what kind of the King Midas thing, right? Was King was King Midas the one? Whatever I touch turns to gold. Yeah,
1: but that's that, the wish he wanted, and then of course he right hugged and, his daughter
0: or something. Right, she right. turned to solid. Right, gold. and so that's kind of what I think about when it comes to success. I think that it's very easy for us when we do something that's successful to say, "Look at how great that was! Look at how great I was!" That's one of the things that I've I've learned when I get compliments. Uh, you know, everyone likes compliments. You know, it's our human nature. But at the same time, you have to be careful when those confidence. You know, when someone says, "Pastor, that was a great sermon." You don't want to walk out of your congregation and say, "Man, I'm a good, I'm such a good preacher." You know, you don't want that um, because then you begin to say, "Well, you know, I'm a good preacher, so whatever I say is going to go well." And the next time that you prepare for a sermon, you're not preparing, you're not prepared as well, and you're like, "Well, you know, last time that I did this." I got a really good compliment because the spirit spoke through me. So the spirit's just going to do it again. So I'm just going to I'm going I'm to wing it, and and that's that's not how that works. And so you need to have that balloon popped. That's why Paul talks about being puffed up and the dangers of being puffed up, and why new Christians was that First Timothy three new you know overseers and deacons should not be new converts because they get puffed up. <laughs> they are puffed up. They haven't had those humiliating experiences yet, right? Mm-hmm. It's I think both of us I, I know I certainly have have had humiliating experiences and it's it's made us better pastors, better husbands, better better men and that's we we've learned by trial and error and success and failure and so don't let those successes puff you up because you will get popped, and then you will fall flat on your face.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm not naming names, but I'm prone to say beware of golden boys. Yeah. You know, Midas guys, right? Never actually in ministry or uh, whatever they're doing can point to a failure, and then when failure does come, they have no idea Mm-hmm. How to handle it, and
0: uh, well, because the, the expectations can't adjust to it, and uh, the expectations I think are higher too. And the higher expect, my dad told me this one time: the higher your expectations are, the the further it is you're going to fall. And so, it's good to have high expectations, but if you are putting expectations on this so-called golden boy or golden child or whatever, when they fail. They're falling from a very, very high cliff that you have created <laughs> for them and pushed them to a sense because you've you've built this up and then when they when they fall, it hurts a lot, and everyone's affected by it not just not just the one that fell
1: so if you're a quarterback who uh, has never been sacked right <laughs> who his receivers never dropped the ball who hasn't Lost a game yet, and your name is not Stafford. <laughs> but what happens when you run into a team that sacks you 12 times in a game, and uh, your receivers are terrorized and drop mm-hmm. the ball left and right? You you have no experience in your life to help you to adjust what you're doing to the re- the reality that you're actually facing. So that's why right. failure. It's useful. I wouldn't say it's good, but it's useful because you can learn from it.
0: Yeah. I think that's what he's, that's definitely what he's saying there, too. So, you got anything else you want to add for that? No. Okay. Very good. All right. That's where we're going to leave everyone for today. Uh, We are going to be back not next week, but the week after. And that'll be our 100th episode. And we did find a couple things I think we might talk about for the 100th episode. We're uh, looking at Psalm one, number one hundred, uh, or something like that. So we'll have something good for number one hundred, and hopefully have a direction for the next the next one hundred episodes. Uh, maybe we continue with Dietrich. Maybe we go with someone else. Maybe we uh, call it call it a day on this podcast and begin looking at another you know podcasting something else. Maybe it's something a little bit different. We'll we'll have some discussions. We'll have some time to do that. So go to the website www.fogdetroit.com. Uh, we are so grateful for all of you that support the podcast, support the ministry. We you say this every week and we truly do mean it. We cannot do what we do without you. Have a great week everyone. We are when you listen to this, it will be almost it'll be September what 29th, September 30th, so turning the trick into October and it's Reformation. So, good things happening in and around the church. Have a great weekend. Go with God's peace. If no one has told you yet, God loves you, and so do we. Take care. We'll talk to you next time. How do you sound the, uh, is it Chumbawamba when you get knocked down and you get back up again? I don't know. <laughs> that's, that, that's what it is, is though. That, you is that a Harry at Potter thing? No, it's not Harry Potter. It's Chumbawamba, like 90s. 90s music. Oh.